good. Excellent. Let's, um, let's just pray again as we uh, just commit this time to the Lord. Father, Lord, we come to your word and we pray, Father, that you would just guard our hearts as we, as we listen, that you would, Father, just help us to, uh, to take in all that you have to say to us this morning. And, and Father, we just pray, Lord, just for your help and your strength, Lord, as, we, as I uh, just share, Lord, what you've put in my heart. And Father, may your voice be heard in, in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess for, for most of us, anger can flare up in a moment. So something goes wrong, our, our mood changes, and we snap at our work colleagues or at the person behind the counter in the supermarket, or perhaps more likely our wife or our husband or our children. A few months ago, I'm driving home after picking up Rosie from school, and I just go through the roundabout, the big roundabout, out of Cheshire, heading towards Tarvin direction, where two lanes come into one. And the traffic is busy as usual. And then somebody tries to cut in in front of me. And I just see red. There's no way I am letting that person in. And the more he tries to nose in, the more I refuse to give way to him. I can just feel myself getting angrier and angrier in that moment. You know what? I would have happily taken the front off his car. I was in such a bad mood at that particular time. And then at the last second... I just catch myself on and, and I think, what on earth am I doing? This is crazy. I put the brakes on, slow down, I let him in. And then after I calm down a little bit, I wonder, what on earth was I thinking about? What on earth was I doing? Where did all that anger come from? And then, and then come, of course, all the excuses. I was tired, I was stressed. After all, I was in the right, he was in the wrong, and I feel frustrated, scared, sound familiar. You know, it can sometimes seem almost inevitable. It's so easy to lose a ride with someone because we don't like what they have said, or we don't feel that we have got our own way. And in fact, the same thing actually applies to God. And James would just simply say, Be quiet. Take a moment. And the real emphasis of this section, of course, goes much wider than our anger. In fact, it's the danger of self-deception. It's one thing, to, it's one thing for Christians to, to be deceived by Satan, but if you deceive yourself, that is something that is far more serious. And the mark of a mature person is someone who can face themselves honestly, who knows themselves, and who admits that they need help. By contrast, the immature person thinks that they are rich, they are self-sufficient, that they have no need for anything, or for that matter, for anyone else. And James says that what this comes down to is our relationship with God. The very root of this lies in our relationship with God and our relationship with with God's word. And when we rightly relate to God's truth, you cannot be dishonest or hypocritical or out of control. So when you relate responsibly towards God's word, it should lead to an honest walk with him. So let's explore this idea in a little bit more detail. So if you turn with your Bibles, 
We're in James chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week. We're in verse 19. That's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And James gives us this recipe to help us to avoid anger. So he tells us to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In fact, this is so important for Christians because anger will not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you want to be mature in your faith, mature in Christ, know the righteousness of God, you need to find a way of controlling your anger. So James says, be quick to listen. It's a good illustration of this that comes from the life of King David. David was, was hiding from the Philistines who had taken over Bethlehem, and he longed for some water, and he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. This wasn't an order. It wasn't even a request, just simply a longing in the heart of David. However, three of David's mighty men hear the king's sigh and they risk their very lives to go and get him water. They were quick to listen. Perhaps it's the example that we would do well to follow. Listen, if we really listened and if we lovingly responded to the heart's cry of those around us, I wonder how different our workplaces would be, how different our home life would be, how different our church might look and be. But what goes along with being quick to listen is slow to speak. I'm sure you have heard, as I have heard, that we have been given two ears and one mouth, two reminders to listen more and to speak less. You know, it's all too easy to argue with one another. It's all too easy to even argue with God himself instead of listening. The third thing that Jesus says is, or that James says, slow to anger. Again, this applies to all areas of our lives, including God and his word. There is some truth in the saying, temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. Of course, there are times when anger can be right. After all, the person who doesn't get angry with sin doesn't have much strength to fight it. But James warns us in particular against getting angry at God's word because it's here that we meet Jesus and it's God's word that will reveal our sin and guide our way. And James encourages us to be quick to listen, to be slow to anger. These are the practical steps that can help us to help us to avoid anger and losing our temper. But he also mentions two further things that should enable us to live this kind of life. You need to live a pure lives by getting the evil and the filth out of your lives, by resisting temptation. We heard about this last week as, as, um, as Andy was, was sharing on, on the, the previous passage. We need to find a way of resisting this temptation to say no to sin. But actually saying no to sin is not enough. You need to actively humble yourself. And that humbling James says, comes through the word of God that is planted and allowed to take root within your life. The word that we 
it's often used in the Bible, this word is both the message about Jesus, but it's also Jesus himself. You need to know him. It's about relationship. It's about knowing the one who gave his life for you, who died on the cross, who gave everything for you. So in verse 21, James also describes God's word as the implanted word. Now he takes this reference, this idea is borrowed from one of the parables of Jesus that he told about the farmer sowing seed. In it, God's word is compared to seed. The human heart is compared to soil. And Jesus describes four types of hearts. Firstly, the hard heart, which doesn't understand and doesn't receive the word. The second one is the shallow heart, which may be very emotional, but has got no depth. Then the crowded heart, which lacks repentance and allows sin to crowd out of the word. But then lastly, there is the fruitful heart, which receives the word, allows it to take root, and actually produces an abundant harvest of fruit. And the point that Jesus is making here, in fact, that, that James is picking up on, is that the proof of salvation, of faith in Christ, is fruit. A life that has been changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit, the result will be godly character, conduct, ministry, self-control, whether it be over our tongue or everything else, that ultimately will bring glory and honor to God. And real fruit will also have this seed within it to produce more fruit so that the harvest will continue to grow. So what Jesus talks about in in John chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. But if the seed of the word of God is to be planted within our hearts, if it is to, be, to become productive within our lives, you need to be listening, certainly to the instructions of Jesus, but also to some of the instructions that James is telling us in this particular passage. Trouble is, it's very easy for us to get so used to having the Word of God. After all, there are so many different versions, different translations, different languages. You can get it online. You can get it in various different types of paper format, various different colors of Bibles. Everything is available. In fact, there's never been a time, perhaps, when the Bible has been so readily available to us in this country. And we can begin to forget what an immense privilege it is and can even take it for granted. We have the very secret of God's heart in our hands. We have the plan for the universe within the pages of this book. Unfortunately, it is easy for us to develop an argumentative attitude towards God's word rather than an obedient one. After all, society is telling us that we should do the best for ourselves. This is about our self-determining. You know, we, need to, we shouldn't be accepting what anybody else is telling us. And the reason why this attitude is so popular it's because it panders to our natural selfishness. Perhaps explains why we're often very quick to speak and very slow to listen. So do you really want to listen with an attitude of obedience? Yet this is the person that God blesses. The Lord declares in Isaiah chapter 62 verse 2, the one I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Is that you? Does that describe us here? People who are full of God, who are full of the Spirit of God, who actually just tremble 
when God's word is read? Do we ever allow it in? Do we listen to it? Do we spend time in it? Now, this does not mean that we're not allowed to ask questions. In fact, or to explore what's really being said. You see, God's word requires understanding. It's, it's good for us to explore it deeply. The difference, however, lies in the attitude. So are you asking questions to try and avoid the meaning of the text? Or do you have an obedient trust that understands that God's way is best and that you humbly accept his word? See, God has implanted his saving word deep within your heart by his spirit. And the appropriate response to that is to have a prepared heart that humbly obeys. James is very straight, and if you've been listening at all, you've gathered something of that as we've gone through it so far, but as James continues, he carries on with the same sort of theme. Yes, you need to be listening to the Word of God, but then he poses another question. If you come to the Word only to listen, what do you achieve? Nothing. You know what? It's a lot worse than that. James says, you deceive yourself. Listening is not enough. You need to do. Look at your Bibles again. Verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And the problem is that most of us can begin to treat God's Word a little bit like our studies, or like a university degree, or an A-level. See, being a student in one sense is easy. Now, you may disagree with that if you're in the middle of exams at the moment, so I apologize. But you know what? All you have to do is learn the information from the textbooks, make sure you attend some of the lectures or, or, or go to the classes, commit it to memory, and then recall it for the purpose of the exam. So if you want to learn what Marx has to say about politics, you don't have to become a Marxist. If you want to, if you want to learn how to reinforce concrete, you don't have to go out and build multiple bridges. So whether or not you pass the exam only depends on the knowledge that you have in your head, not on how you act during that exam. Many people have the idea that they've heard a good sermon or been to a, a good Bible study, that is what's going to make them grow and get God's blessing. But hearing is only part of it. It is the doing that brings the blessing. When I was a, a teenager, I used to highlight my Bible. I got many multiple colored marker, markers, pens. It was highlight key verses, sometimes even whole passages. And in fact, there were parts of my Bible that were so well highlighted, they were virtually completely colored in. And I thought it looked impressive. I really did. I thought, you know what? You know, somebody, a young man with a Bible so well highlighted had to be a godly man. However, I was kidding myself because I wasn't necessarily doing what I was reading. The truth was, at times, I wasn't even reading at all. I was just highlighting. And I wasn't allowing God's word to change me. When it comes to studying the Bible, it's very different from attending college 
because your entire life counts. Understanding it properly means that you need to live it out. And, and James' overriding concern within this is to see truth in action. Truth is not just something that we know in our head. It is something that we live out. It's, it's not about an intellectual sort of speculation. God's truth is found in action. If you don't live it out, you haven't really learnt it. So in this previous paragraph, James compares the word to see that grows and then produces fruit, but now he compares it to a mirror for examination. Now the purpose of owning a mirror is to be able to see yourself, to make sure you look clean and, and as neat as you possibly can. So whenever you look into the mirror, notice maybe that your hair is an absolute disaster zone or you've got chocolate maybe smeared over your face. You want to do something about that. You may need the chocolate for later, potentially. You might feel hungry. But, but you know, action is required. In the same way, there is no use in listening to the Bible and then not acting on what you've read. Verse 25 James tells us we need to look into the perfect law, which admittedly might not sound that much fun, but listen, this is the mirror of God's word that shows us what we are really like. In fact, we get two things when we do this. When we look into it, when we follow it, when we live it out, we get freedom and we get blessing. This is freedom from your emotions being directed by your circumstances. In fact, enjoy that that means you can live in the middle of trials. It's freedom to stop defining yourself by your wealth or by anything else for that matter, but to define yourself by your status as God's children. It's the blessing of eternal life. It is peace instead of anger. It's the blessing of living the life that we have been designed to live. The question is, will you read God's word and close it, and then forget it? Or will you read God's word and believe it and live it? You need to apply God's word to your life, to every aspect of it. However, there are a number of mistakes that so many of us make. In fact, the James highlights in this passage, the first one is this. You merely take a fleeting glance. I was brought up to read my Bible every day. And listen, there are some good disciplines in life that are are really important, in fact, and this, is, this of course, is, is one of them. However, for many Christians, this can just become a religious exercise, a bit like my highlighting exploits. And they don't carefully study the Word of God and then apply it to their lives. They read it carelessly, they skim through it, and then they feel pretty content because, well, they feel they've done their duty towards God. But five minutes of skim reading God's Word will never accomplish a deep spiritual examination. This takes time. It takes time in the Word of God to allow it to change you. The second mistake that people make is that you forget what you see. If you take time to look deep enough into God's Word and allow it to impact your life, you will not forget what you see. Just like the prophet Isaiah, who cries out to God when he's confronted with the presence of God, he says, says, woe is me. I am undone. It's Peter, when he realizes who Jesus is, he says, depart from me. I am a sinner. 
John Wesley, who writes about what happened during some of the services that he was preaching at, he says, one before me dropped as dead, and, and presently a second and a third, five others sunk in half an hour, most of whom were in violent agonies. Such was the presence of God, such was the power of God's word and the spirit of God. Listen, there is an impact when word and spirit come. You don't forget about it. It just changes you. The third mistake that we make is that you fall, that you fail to obey what the word tells you to do. You know, it's very easy to substitute reading for doing or talking for doing. And we can hold countless committee meetings and conferences from everything, from evangelism to church planting to church growth, and actually think that we're making some progress. And this, of course, course, is nothing wrong with conferences and meetings, but except when they become a substitute for service. You need to obey what the Word tells you to do. And this means that you need to examine yourself by the Word of God. As we look into the mirror of God, the first thing that we should start with is examination. But there's a second thing, and that is restoration. When Moses built the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, it's interesting to read that he made the bronze basins and his bronze stands from the mirrors, yes, the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And these basins would have been filled with water where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they entered into the holy place. And this theme is picked up a little later on in in, in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, which reminds us that the church is sanctified and made clean by the washing with water through the word. It is through faith in Jesus Christ alone that you are made clean. So the mirror of God's word is not only for the examination of yourself and for the the revealing of your sin, but it also gives you the promise of cleansing as well. And it's only the blood of Jesus that can remove that guilt and that shame and that sin from your life, but it's the water of the Word and the filling of the Spirit that brings you to a place of restoration and of repentance in Christ to wash away your defilement. There's a third aspect to this mirror of God's Word as we look into it, and that is transformation. After repentance and restoration, Jesus wants to change you so that you will grow in grace, that you will resist sin, and you will conquer temptation and self. There's a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Listen, as you look into the Word of God, as you see the glory of God, what is reflected back into you is God's glory. Too many Christians can confess their sins, even claim forgiveness and never grow spiritually. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to this example, this example of Moses who came down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God. And and Moses' face, if you know the story, is shining with the glory of God. And while he was there with the people, he wore a veil covering his face. But when he went back up into that mountain again, that veil was removed as he went back into the presence of God. 
But then when Jesus Christ came, when Jesus died on the cross, it tells us the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was the divine hand of God ripping it apart. In fact, removing the separation between man and God. And God's glory is no longer hidden from you. In fact, it gets greater and greater when you spend time looking into the Word and seeing Christ. When you see Christ. And you will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you take that glory in, the glory on the inside will be revealed on the outside. But this transformation takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It's the work of the Spirit of God through the mirror of the Word of God. So we pray. We pray as David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Obedience is critical in understanding the Bible. So merely listening or studying or reading or marking or learning the Bible is not enough. You must do what it says. Be humble enough to do everything God's way, not your own way. Receive God's word humbly means submitting to it. Such such submission will affect the way in which we read. Because if you're keen to do what the word says, you will be keen to find out what it's actually saying. However, the reverse is, is also true. If you are keen to do what you want, you will simply want to use the Bible to justify your actions. And James says, when you fail to do the Word of God, you deceive yourself. You're living in deception. So put it into practice. It may not be easy. In fact, there are challenges with that. Maybe some bits we find difficult to always understand but never give up. Spend time in God's Word. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of it to you. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we mature. And this will give you freedom. And remember, it is God who is the giver of every good, of every perfect gift. And then James, in the last couple of verses, gets really, really practical. Picking up again in verse 26, it says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from, the pollution, to, from being polluted by the world. What you do with your tongue and what comes out of your mouth, in fact, what that reveals about you is a theme that James will pick up a little later on in in, in chapter 3. But you do need to keep control of your tongue. And by nature, we are much keener to express our own opinion than to understand somebody else's. So think back to the last conversation that you've had. How much do you remember about what you said and how much do you remember about what the other person says? And I bet you, I'm not a betting man, but I bet you, you can remember a lot more details about what came out of your mouth. We all treasure our own words before anybody else's. 
But perhaps next time before you find yourself, when you find yourself getting hot under the collar because of what somebody else has said, try just letting them finish what they're saying before answering. Just take a deep breath, have a good listen, and before you answer, just be careful. Listen, if you answer in quick anger, it is bound to be harmful. Listen, even if you're right. Even if you're 100% right, you answer quickly in anger, it is going to cause damage and it's going to cause harm. In fact, this teaching of James comes from Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 12, 1-3, he links religious hypocrisy with hurtful words. Now, they don't always go together, but very often they do. And James began to speak to his disciples. So Jesus began to speak to the disciples. It was crowded. They're in a pressurized situation. And Jesus says, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What, you have, what is said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what is whispered in the ear of the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now Jesus was so often at loggerheads with those who considered themselves to be religious. But his words here reinforce what James is saying in chapter 1 and verse 26. Religious hypocrisy are all mouth and no trousers. There is no substance to these people. In fact, it's deadly. And you con yourself when you feel religious or proud of your faith or of your own achievements. This kind of religion is unattractive towards others and even more unattractive towards God. And God can see straight through it. And he dislikes religious hypocrisy. James' message is very simple. An open mouth equals a closed heart. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us to see if there's any danger of us falling into such a trap. Remember, if we just listen to the word of God only and not do it, we are deceived. We need the Holy Spirit just to allow God to reveal the truth. Do I really live as I should for God? An open mouth equals a closed heart. Now you may feel pretty bruised by verse 26. These are strong words. But James has got some good news as well. See, there's an alternative to a closed heart and to a flapping tongue. And that is to shut your mouth and open your heart. See, if your heart is right, then your speech will be right. And verse 27 is an invitation to a life of love and a life of faith. Now, we're used to think about loving our friends and loving our family and, 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 and so on. But James' challenge goes much deeper. In fact, it's a much more radical type of love. And what he describes here as a religion that is acceptable to God in verse 27. Now, not, not all religion is bad. We have this idea. In fact, we can think of religion is always hypocrisy. That is not true. In fact, what religion is defined here as the outward practice, the service of God. This is used only five times in the New Testament where it's often translated as Worshipping. Pure religion. Worshipping. This is not about ceremonies. This is not about temples. Pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others through speech, through service, through separation from this world. Now, we may find it fairly easy, it will be on a Sunday morning, to feel full of joy or even purity. 
in, in church. But again, James challenges us to worship in a much more radical way than that, which affects the way in which we care for the needy and the vulnerable within our church and within our communities. But it also means that you yourself need to be freed from the pollution of this world. Do you remember back to the promise of chapter, of, of chapter 1, verse 5? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So listen, if you are struggling to work out these verses 26 and 27 to keep yourself from the pollution of this world, if, if this feels daunting to you, then go back to verse, 20, verse 5. In fact, it's a verse that you and I need to live in as we go through this series. In fact, we need to live probably most of the days of our life in this. If you lack wisdom, if you're lacking, go to God. Ask God, the one who gives generously to you without reproach. So we need, we need to learn to rely on this. Listen, this is God's grace we've talked about already. The God's grace poured into our, into our lives. The love of God that, that Romans talks about in Romans chapter 5 poured into our hearts poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit, just given to us. Listen, God is the giver. God gives us this blessing into our lives. This is the only way that we can live it. The only way we can possibly stand. It's all about the grace that Jesus bought for us on the cross. And James urges you to serve one another in love but also to be separate from this world, a society that is without God, but at the same time we are sent into this godless society to bring them to Christ. And the only way that we can minister to the needs of this world is to be pure from the defilement of it by actively humbling yourself through the Word and the Spirit of God that is planted and allowed to take root within your hearts. So, Father, we pray. We need you. Father, we commit this, these words, Lord, into your hands. Lord, I pray, Father, that Lord, what is from you, Lord God, would, 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 be, would land well in our hearts. Lord God, it would change our lives. But, Lord, anything that's not from you, Lord, would, would, would fall to the ground. But, Lord, we do want to submit ourselves to you. Lord, we've heard already, Lord, as we've worshipped, Lord, that the, Lord, we can trust you. Lord, you're faithful. Lord, you can be relied on. So, Lord, I pray, forgive us when we have gone our own way, when we think we know better. But, Lord, we, we want to invite Holy Spirit to come. Just reveal the truth of our hearts to ourselves. Show us what needs to be put right with you. Lord, we come humbly under your word and we pray, Lord, have your way among us. Lord, for the advancement of your kingdom, but Lord, ultimately, Lord, that, you, that we would become true worshippers of you. That we would have a pure religion, true worshippers, responding to you, loving you, but also loving others as well. So, Father, just do a deep work within us. And just help us in this, we pray.
Lord, we give you glory and we give you honor for all that you're doing in us and through us. And Father, help us to walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.